kind of have to navigate your way up, up in that uh, area. I've got a prop. Good morning. Good morning, Craig. Good to see you. <laughs> so one Friday, I was out with my grandson, my five-year-old grandson, Carter. And there were some clouds that were rolling in. We had been reading Winnie the Pooh books. I'm sure you're familiar with Winnie the Pooh. And uh, the clouds were rolling in, and I said, Carter, you know, Christopher Robin would look at those clouds, and he would say, tut, tut, Carter, it looks like rain. And he looked up and he said, tut, tut, Grammy, it does look like rain. And I said, Carter, let's go back to my house and let's read the story about where Rabbit gets stuck in the door, or uh, Pooh gets stuck in the door of Rabbit's house because he's too fat. And I said, yeah, but you know, we don't use the word fat, do we? And he says, uh, does fat mean big? And I said, well, fat means big around the middle. And he said, and I said, uh, uh, your dad is big. He's, uh, he's, he's not big around the middle, but he's six foot six. He's tall. And I said, your grandpa Joe is big, but he's not big around the middle. He's also over six feet. And Carter says, well, Grandpa Joe is a little big around the middle, but I'm just going to call him tall. Carter had made a choice right there to go positive. He could have called him, and, and Uncle Joe, or, he's not fat. We know he's not fat if he listens to this. He's not. Not even a touch bigger on the middle. You're very slim, Joe. You're very slim. Um, but he chose to call him tall. Do you remember there was a book that came out a while ago by Minerthur Meyer called Happiness is a Choice? And in that book, it talks about all the ways and all the things that we can do that affect our happiness. And since that book has come out, there's been lots of research, lots of medical studies, empirical research that shows that there are things that we can actually do to be happier people. And of course, the Bible um, also has a word to say about that. It says in Philippians, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. What we do think about makes a difference. Um, have you ever been just fine, just happy, and you get into the car, and you turn on the radio, and you hear some news? That's very hard. Or you might, you might think, I'll just check the news out on the internet, and you, by the time you're off, you're just devastated because there's so many hard things going around in the world. I mean, we can even just run into a person that's kind of crabby and has a bad attitude, and that can plummet us down. Um, our happiness is dependent on uh, actions and how we experience things. And uh, not that we want to live in a bubble, because we don't. Jesus told us, in this world, you will have trouble. But we don't have to suffocate in that bubble of trouble. And over and over, the Bible says, in, uh, do not fear. Do not fear, for I'm with you. Clearly, there's a lot of trouble out in the world. There's a lot of trouble in here. And there are a lot of things to fear about. Um, but we look to God, and uh, we're going to address that now. So will you pray with me, please? Lord, we do uh, remember you. 
which makes all the difference. So, Lord, as we, uh, this time you've given us today to hear from your word, to hear about you and who you are, Lord, speak to us in the place that we each individually need it. And you know what that is because you are good Heavenly Father who knows what we need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been in a series called From Here to Happy. And we've talked about how happiness is normal, happiness is practice, happy people are connected people, and happy people live with purpose. And today, linked to Paul's admonishment to think about these things, is a word that we see all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible, many, many times, and that word is remember. And this is not like in remember the good old days. This is not about nostalgia or sentimentality. A nausea, or, whoop, uh, nostalgia. <laughs> okay, well, need I say more about that? That was a Freudian slip. Nostalgia is defined as a wistful desire to return in thought or in fact to a normal, a former time in one's life. A sentimental yearning for the happiness of a former place or time. No, nostalgia is not the same as remembering. In fact, when I think of the word nostalgia, I immediately think of the word nausea. I gave you a little preview of that. And that's because nostalgia does not strengthen us for the day. It causes discontent and disconnect from the realities of life now. Uh, we didn't have perfect lives in the past. We do not have perfect lives in the present. And we will not have perfect lives in the future. Remember what Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But we look to the one who is perfect, and we look to him for the way through these times. I remember a time when our kids had entered adolescence, and um, I was stuck in a way. It was nothing that they had done. It was me. Uh, there were some things going on, and I was stuck in a way uh, that I really did not know how to go forward or to relate to them well. And I knew that I needed to talk to someone. So I uh, had a friend over who was a little bit older than me. Her kids were older, and I knew that her children had been very, very challenging. So we sat at my dining room table, and I told her all that was going on and uh, how I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know why they were doing these things, and I could see no, no prospect for any goodness to come out of this. I could see no way forward, and I really had no hope. And she listened carefully, and she didn't sugarcoat anything, and she didn't say, God, well, it'll get better. They'll grow up. They'll grow out of it. You'll get better. Um, what she said, she didn't tell me actually anything to do, but she asked me a question. She said, Dory, can you remember anything in your life in where God did come through? And I was so surprised because I was really looking for advice. So she asked me that question, and so I sat with her, and it was hard at first, but I started thinking little by little of all the many times that God had come through for me in unexpected ways. I remember when I was in college, how I had completely disconnected from God, had not, didn't want to have anything to do with him, and by very uh, creative way in his, in his uh, timing, I came, I came to accept Jesus, and uh, became a Christian and had from aimlessness to purpose. Uh, how I met my future husband, 
uh, in a, a funny thing on a Saturday, uh, going through revolving doors in Carver Hall at Iowa State University. I remembered how uh, he had been so good in so many ways, and in difficulties with our finances. There was a time when uh, Doug lost his job. He got fired in a very un unfair way, and on and on and on. And uh, by the time she left, I stayed at my dining room table, and I had my journal out, and I continued writing and writing and writing all the ways that God had been so faithful to me and to my family. My circumstances had not changed one bit. <clears throat> my viewpoint had completely changed. Most of all, I had hope, and I didn't have hope in the particular ways that I felt like things would work out. But my hope was fixed on God right where it needed to be all the time. I knew from remembering past experiences that with God, we would get through this difficult time together. Remembering connects the past to the present. Remembering also brings eternal truth into a transient situation. As we strive to stay connected to present realities when they are difficult, not to go numb or deny or minimize, we often need more than what is right at hand to just bear bear up under the situation, much less make it through. That's when we look for the truer truth, the truer truth that is under the transient situation. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And in order to do that, we must remember. We remember, remember who God is, remember what God did, and remember what God said. And of course, our, the Bible's our guide. It is filled with stories that tell us all these things about God. We have in the Old Testament the stories of the patriarchs and the prophets and the, the kings and the, uh, the judges, and uh, uh, they tell stories, and they, some of those stories you know, we had to protect our kids from some of those stories because they have some sordid details, don't they? And uh, some of those are definitely rated R stories. They don't pull any punches. And then the psalmists, they show us the way. They tell all these stories that happen in the Old Testament. They are dense with remembrances, and they are reading them regularly helps us be tutored in how to make our way through even the grittiest of circumstances, remembering what God had done in the past, they tell us what God is like, his capacity and his inclination for the present and future, and most of all, they reveal his heart, which is so helpful in situations when we cannot see the way forward. When we can't see the mark at his hand, we trust the intent of his heart. And we learn God's heart in a variety of ways. The Psalms reveal his heart by remembering. And one of the many, many psalms that do this is Psalm 78, which tells us to remember and to remember to tell those who come after us. It talks about freedom from Pharaoh, freedom out of slavery. It talks about going through the Red Sea. It talks about the manna. It talks about the fire and the cloud and the whole story of the up and down relationship of Israel and God. And we read about that and we know then we hear then what we know now of what God did so we know who he is. He is steadfast, he's powerful, he's timely, 
He's kind. He's just. He's creator. And he's still creating. He redeems. He sustains. And this is all throughout the Psalms. One of my very favorite Psalms is in uh, Psalm 86. And I love the way this line is from the message. But you, O God, are both tender and kind, not easily angered, immense in love, and you never, never quit. And then, of course, there's the stories of Jesus, his birth, his healings, his teaching, the way he was with the proud, the way he was with those on the margins, how he was, uh, his battle with Satan in the desert, Zacchaeus, and all of those stories, the woman at the well, there's just so many. And these are the stories that we all tell our children, not just our children, but our children as a church, our grandchildren, and we tell them over and over, and they want to hear them because we want them to know what Jesus is like. And they learn about what Jesus is like through the stories of Jesus. And they want to hear the stories of us with Jesus. So they hear how it's been for, with us with Jesus and how he's so involved in our life. He simply loves us. There's nothing we can do to make Jesus love us more. There's nothing we can do to make Jesus love us less. He simply loves us with an everlasting love. And that love is never, ever going to quit. That's how we learn to grow and to know and to love Jesus. And so now let me tell you an ancient story. This is the story about Samuel and Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Back in the fourth uh, chapter, the Israelites were creamed by the Philistines because they had tried to strike a bargain. They tried to manipulate God into making them win, and he let them lose badly. Well, now in this seventh chapter, the Philistines were still after them. And this time there was a change because Israel followed Samuel's instructions and repented of worshiping their idols and trying to manipulate God. They repented and they called out to God for help as the Philistines came again to get them. Starting at the middle of verse 10 in chapter 7, the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven and the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. The men of Israel chased them from Mizpah to Bethkar, slaughtering all along the way. Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, the stone of help. You may have your own Ebenezer. Here's one of mine. So this is a little stone, and on here I put the date, December 1973, and I wrote down thankful because this is the month that the Lord rescued me um, and brought me into his very own family. And I have that on my shelf, and every time I go by that shelf, I thank God for what he did. Do you have your own personal Ebenezer stone? And if it's not a stone, maybe it's some kind of a tangible thing around that you can see and it reminds you of something that God did in your life. It reminds you of what he did or what he said or what he's like. I have one more story to tell you, and this story is about a church. And the year is 1961, and this is a church that's in Westport, and it's on 42nd Street, and the name of that church is First Covenant Church. 
The suburbs had begun to build out after the war, and many people from that church had actually moved from Westport out to a suburb, and that suburb was called Prairie Village. And those people loved their church in Westport, but they also grew to love the people that they lived with and they worked with out here in Prairie Village, and they loved them so much that they wanted to connect them to their church that they loved. Uh, but it was such a hike from Prairie Village to Westport that they decided to plant a church here. They decided to have a daughter church here. And they decided to have it at the crest of the hill on Knoll Avenue and 87th Street. And of course, they called it Hillcrest, Hillcrest Covenant. And those people pooled their resources. They gave sacrificially. Some of them even took out second mortgages on their home. And they called their very first pastor, and his name was Glenn Lindell. And Glenn was a fabulous pastor. He was the perfect pastor for that first, uh, that first go at Prairie Village at, at, on Hillcrest. And he led well, and he visioned well, and he, he did communion, and he preached, and he pastored, and he did weddings and funerals, and they loved Glenn. And then it was time for Glenn to leave after eight years. And they thought, oh no, what are we going to do with Glenn leaving? And so they watched, and they prayed, and then God brought Randy Clausen. And Randy Clausen was a good pastor, and he pastored, and he prayed, and he led communion, and he did weddings and funerals, and he preached. And Randy actually designed these windows right in this very sanctuary. And then it was time for Randy to leave after seven years. And the people thought, oh no, what are we going to do? Randy's leaving. And so they watched and they prayed, and God brought to Hillcrest Tim Eck. And Tim Eck was a good pastor, and that's when me and my family came to our church. We came uh, with our one little child, our little baby Aaron. And Tim was so good. He prayed and he preached and he, uh, he uh, dedicated our next children, our twins. And he uh, was such a good pastor. And after seven years, it was time for Tim to leave. And the people said, oh no, what are we going to do? We loved him. Such a good pastor. And so Tim left and they watched and they prayed and God brought us Garth Bolander. And oh, God, God brought us a good pastor in Garth. And Garth, for our family, was instrumental in that for all three of our kids, when they grew up and they decided to be baptized, he baptized them. He uh, was here when my husband was uh, diagnosed with cancer and helped us along that first part of the cancer. He helped us with marriage difficulties and raising kids, and he was such a good pastor of the church, and he preached and he discipled and he did weddings and he did funerals and he, he served us communion. And then after 13 years, it was time for Garth to leave. And we thought, oh, no, what are we going to do? We love Garth. What are we going to do now? So the people watched and they prayed and they watched and they prayed and they watched and they prayed for 18 months. And then God brought us Mark Severson. And oh, it was worth the wait. 
and we got to have Mark here. And for me and my family, uh, Mark was here with all three weddings of my children right on the stage. Mark helped us through the end of Doug's struggle with cancer. Mark uh, was, has been such a good pastor, preaching and leading, helping us through the good times and the hard times. And for us, our family, right on this stage, he had the funeral for my husband, Doug, and it was a good celebration. The carpet was a different color. <laughs> and now, uh, we hear that it's time for Mark to leave. And we say, oh no, what are we gonna do? And we know what to do. We watch and we pray and we look to God and we remember that this church was not Glenn's church and this church was not Randy's church and this church was not Tim's church and it was not Garth's church and it's not Mark's church and it's not even our church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And he's never, never going to quit. We are held in the arms of the one who loves this church and has loved it well for over 55 years, and he's not going to stop now. So we're going to pray, and I'm asking the, the other pastors to come up, Nicole and Nate and uh, Larry, Claire is the only one that's not here. She is at a, um, it's hard to kind of get down from here, isn't it? She's at a family reunion and, and she couldn't get out of it. So she wishes she could be with here today with us here. But um, we're just going to have a brief time of prayer uh, as a pastoral staff. And we would like you to pray with us during this time of transition as we seek to live out these next weeks um, looking to our vision and to the faithfulness of God. So let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we do look to you, and we thank you for your goodness and your steadfast love, and we pray that you would give us all evidence of your working right now. And Lord, we pray for Mark and Beth as they enter this new season of life and ministry. Lord, we're grateful for the calling they have and for Beth's work with the covenant. And Lord, we pray that you'd make very clear the next step for Mark vocationally and that you would go before them and make that way straight. God, we know that you are the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and you're, God, you're the God of us, Lord, and we know that um, you are all power and mighty. And God, we just turn to you in this time, and we pray for um, Mark and Beth in their next chapter, and God, in the, the next chapter for Hillcrest. And God, we are here, and um, we look to you, and we trust you. Lord, do you, um, you tell us in Scripture that every good gift comes from you. And God, I thank you for um, the incredible gift that you've given us in Mark and Beth and the way their whole family has helped us as a church see you and see the gifts that you've given us. Lord, everything they've done is pointing to you. And Lord, I pray as Mark and Beth um, continue to follow you, Lord, I pray that, um, that you would continue to use them to remind the people they come in contact with about just the incredible gift that we have in you. And God, may that be... Um, be something that moves people in ways that helps them see you in new and fresh ways, in ways that make an eternal difference in their life. Lord, I just lift up Mark and Beth 
and their whole family right now to you. Even though their nest is currently empty, Lord, we know there is that that you're doing in all of their lives that you've scattered all over the place to bring glory to you. We pray for this family, God, grace. We pray that all that you've written in your book for them would come to pass. Lord, you said the pathway of the just is like the first gleam of dawn that shines brighter and brighter to the full light of day. Lord, let the trajectory of that, let the journey of that, and let the increase, the crescendo of that, Lord, be according to your word, that they would put one foot in front of the other and see the light from heaven on it. Grace, we just commend them to your grace. And Lord, we pray for us. God, you raised up this church in this community with a destiny. And God, we pray by your grace and by your wisdom and your power, you bring us into that destiny to fulfill all you want us to do in this city. In Jesus' name, amen.